The Green Rush is real. From lawmakers and investment bankers to CEOs and investors, we'll look at how people are transforming cannabis from the shadows of the black market into a cash crop that draws in cannapreneurs from Hollywood to Wall Street. Here to help you navigate the business of cannabis, please welcome Lewis Goldberg and Ann Donahoe. Brought to you by KCSA Strategic Communications. Welcome to The Green Rush. Today, we are joined by our awesome associate producer, Nick Opich, who will be pitching in on today's interview with David Friedman, president of VividGrow, which is a leading LED lighting solutions company and a division of Lighting Science Group. I'm Lewis Goldberg, and I am joined, as always, by Ann Donahoe, the hostess with the mostess. And that is now three episodes that I have oh, said that. And God, I will continue terrible. to say, oh, it is, you love it. Come on. I feel like it's be- now you said it three times. It's like Beetlejuice. Exactly. I'm not allowed to say it again. So it's it's gonna um, stick that, My head now. is yeah. My head is shrinking, um, which is really impressive because it's clearly pretty big. Um, on one note, before we start, if you can please rate and review um, and subscribe to the Green Rush on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to it. And as always, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Green Rush Comms. So David has had a long career in industry in general. Um, he's been an angel investor. He's been a principal in both venture capital and private equity firms. He served as the uh, CEO of MJIC which owns media properties, financial services, and other operating businesses in the cannabis industry. And now, David, you have been uh, brought into the lighting side of the industry. So welcome to the the Green Rush. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, It's it's our pleasure. Um, I'm a married guy, and I talk with my wife all the time about cannabis. Uh, She is not a recreational user, but on occasion is willing to try CBD-based products for pain or she's having trouble sleeping. Um, And I've been pulling her into the industry, slowly but surely uh, getting her more comfortable with everything about it. Um, Your entrance into the market's different though. Your significant other helped you become a a, a cannabinoid. So um, can you tell us about how your girlfriend got you into cannabis? Was it a hard sell for her? No, no, no. First of all, she's my ex-girlfriend, but we're still very good friends. In fact, uh, <laughs> she got me into the industry because her son graduated uh, from uh, Bradley in Peoria. He's a graphic designer um, and, you know, definitely part of the counterculture, uh, full sleeves, tats. Uh, and he decided to venture out to Colorado and ended up in the cannabis space. And we were having breakfast one day and she looked at me and said, you got to figure out how to make us money in this business. <laughs> that that was really all it took. I was on the internet the next day, and within 30 days, I was on the plane to my first industry event, and um, I spent probably two years straddling the line between the early stage tech and financial services businesses uh, that we had been focused on, and then I switched full time uh, over to the cannabis space. You know, close to four years ago now, we're you know. so. I- I mean, congrats on the relatively new role as the president of Vivid Grow. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, one more about the company for those who don't know? Um, and I'm also wondering um, to dig a little bit deeper into your background as a quote unquote finance guy. What made you make the step into this executive role um, versus a, the financial or VC private equity, equity role that you seem to have played for the most part of your career? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I've been involved in private equity in D.C. for the m- most of my career, but I- I've been what we call a venture operator. So I'm the guy who gets thrown into companies that are 
struggling or need to be restructured or maybe they're headed towards an exit and the the founders aren't necessarily aligned with the investors and need some adult supervision. Um, and so I, I go in and primarily short-term basis, 6, 12, 18 months. Uh, the last couple of years, I started getting a little bit more involved in um, in operations, more long-term operations. Um, and I had run MJIC for a year. They were a portfolio company. Um, we still have a, a venture fund outside of Vividgrow. And I stepped in to be the CEO of that company. We raised some equity um, and uh, from an underwriter. Uh, the company's expected to go public in Canada in May, and I transitioned out to make way for a new CEO, and I left. I was It was the day before my 50th birthday, and I officially retired. I knew I would <laughs> stay that way forever, but I just wanted to retire at 49, and I did. Well, That's I'm, amazing. I, I, I'm 47, and I'm nowhere near retirement. Yeah. So I took off, and I went, and I traveled. I went to Cuba, and then I ended up in Ecuador for like three months. Um, I was renting a two-bedroom apartment on the ocean for like you know, less than my car payment in the United States. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I get a call from this headhunter who says, hey, you want to come back and sell lights? And I took the phone and I held it up to the ocean and I said, are you out of your effing mind? <laughs> and See, he proceeded to kind of talk to me about Lighting Science Group and the institutional investors that were behind it and um, got me a little bit more intrigued because most of what we've done in this industry has been on a shoestring. I'm used to raising capital. Um, but I was going to be in a position where I was able to come into a, a business. At the time, Lighting Science was publicly traded. Um, financial resources were, were something that um, weren't necessarily going to be a problem for the right business and the right operator. Uh, and most importantly, I, I did say, I, I, guys, I'm not coming back to sell lights, right? You got to give me a broader canvas. Um, you got to give me an opportunity. Definitely need a better reason to get off the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to their credit, they were like, great, whatever you want. I mean, really, they, they've been, it's been such a pleasure to deal with. Um, you know, they still aren't going as fast as I would like because I go 100 miles an hour, but faster than anybody else who's in a transition like this. Um, and, you know, I put together a plan that said, look, we want to be crop agnostic. We want to be hardware agnostic. We understand the opportunity in the cannabis space, and that's where we're going to play, and that's where we're going to get traction and growth. And um, but ultimately, we want to be an ag tech firm. We, um, in the in the crudest sense, right? You've got on the one side the growth of the cannabis industry, um, which you know arguably produces a crop that makes people hungry, and on the other side, you've got the um, the vertical farming, indoor farming, food desert uh, sustainability uh, of herbs and vegetables that, you know, feeds the people when they're hungry, right? And so there's an altruistic feed the world, and then there's a non-altruistic capitalistic, uh, you know, cannabis opportunity, and the convergence of those two is a much more compelling business model. And so beyond just lighting, we're now acquiring a software company, entering into another software agreement, and we'll actually be stepping in to automate uh, growing environments from lighting to um, uh, control systems and systems for environmental uh, controls and things of that nature and and looking to really become an ag tech business and scale up, but use cannabis to get there. So lighting science is has been around a long time and it's played yep. in the LED space for a very, very long time. Um, yes. you, you know, they've been around for as long as Cree and, and Sylvania and the other players in the space. How, 
Take us through their pivot from where they were a commercial and residential lighting company to now wanting to be an ag tech company with a focus on cannabis. Yeah, so I call them an accidental tourist in the cannabis space. Um, you know, there, there are two types of people uh, in the cannabis space. There's accidental tourists and immigrants, right? Nobody grew up in this space. They either wound up here by accident or they immigrated from somewhere else. And um, that's kind of where Pegasus, excuse me, uh, lighting science came in to the um to the equation, and and they had realized that LED lighting, as it was coming to fruition, um, had a lot of applications. The residential and commercial, of course, was the first one. Uh, but as you guys know, that's become commoditized over a period of time, and they accidentally figured out that LED lights are also being used to grow cannabis, and cannabis was a hot topic, and so they dabbled in the space and managed to put together a couple of decent products that. Um, allowed them to get some pretty decent traction in the space. And um, they had been focused, Lighting Sciences, a company has over 400 patents right now. I mean, they've been really heavily focused on on IP. Um, And they realized it's time to start to monetize that IP. It's time to start to bring those products to market because a lot of that IP can end up getting- That's not what a normal tech company does. They just kind of let it languish. Yeah, you know, and it gets obsolete. Um, And so to their credit, they realized, all right, you know, it's time to hit the road with this. And so they they made the decision um, to basically split the company in four. Uh, So a few months back, we we took the company private myself. Um, I've got a counterpart, Kim Lee, who's the president of Lighting Science and runs the the healthy division, which is the other division. So I'm I'm the horticulture ag tech division. And then uh, healthy division is all biological. lighting that helps you sleep better and stay awake and alert and and circadian rhythm and all sorts of really cool stuff that's way over my head but um they they are doing a a really good job and being very aggressive about moving towards that part of their portfolio and then they took the um the retail segment and spun that off which is the largest segment that sells to home depot and so forth and then finally the commercial segment that they're kind of shutting down because it's become so commoditized and you got to compete with integrators and so we went from a private equity backed public company to four kind of small venture startup companies um and it's been a it's been a quick and and um difficult but invigorating shift and i think everybody's pretty happy with where we've come in the last five six months and I think that's a, a great spot to take a break. Um, this is the Green Rush, and we're chatting with David Friedman, the president of Vivid Grow. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC. Symbol MCIG. At Alternative Vibes, our core values of quality, loyalty, respect, and honesty guides us in our mission to help families find peace and harmony through our products and services. Whether you are looking for a more natural way of living, shopping for essential oils, topicals, and edibles, or searching for a path towards achieving your goals, we are your choice. Learn more about our complete line of natural products and solutions at AlternativeVibes.com. Bringing quality of living to life. AlternativeVibes.com. 
Cannabis concentrates have been around for hundreds of centuries. In 19th century America, extracts mixed with other herbs were sold as a miracle cure. Now, Apex Supercritical has elevated the science of extraction into the 21st century. Apex Supercritical is the leader in CO2 extraction, which is the cleanest, safest, and purest way to extract plant oils. ROI in as little as three weeks. Our cost-effective systems are fully automated with an industry-leading three-year warranty. And if we don't have your system in stock, we can build one in as little as four weeks. Bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems. Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. Sean Eubanks hosts Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Wednesdays on demand, only on CannabisRadio.com. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. And welcome back to The Green Rush. I'm Nick Opich, joining Lewis Goldberg and Ann Donna Ho. Uh, today we're speaking with David Friedman, president of Vivid Grow. Uh, David, so I wanted to jump in here. So yeah. cannabis is very much thought of as a green product, and the boom from cannabis farming has really boosted the use of electricity all over the country. So that doesn't really make it sound like it's all that green from an environmental point. Um, is is that premise correct? Is it is cannabis? Should the lighting stuff be considered still green, even though a lot of electricity is still being used? Uh, yeah, you know, it's a it's a great question. Obviously, um, the play on words in this industry is is ridiculous, and so green means a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> clearly, we're you, talking. You mean about, like the name of our podcast? Yeah, right. You know. Um, uh, it's it just, the puns are just never ending. You can't have a conversation, try pitching investors and trying to get through a presentation. But, but anyways, um, so green, obviously the color of the plant, you know, has an influence on that, but what you're talking about is, um, environmentally friendly. And, um, you know, I wouldn't consider, uh, farming in general, environmentally friendly. <laughs> it rapes and pillages the land if you're in outdoors and it taxes the, uh, power grid and, uh, you know, there are, environmentally friendly products and, and uh, services and, and things of that nature that help an industry that's required in order to feed the planet be more green, right? Um, and LED is certainly one of those. Uh, LED consumes tremendous amount of less power than uh, your traditional HPS and, and other types of lights. Um, the total cost of ownership is significantly less. It taxes the power grid significantly less. And indoor and vertical farming, uh, likewise, is much more green than outdoor farming. Um, it also has other benefits. And so so we, we like to think that Vivid Grow is, is a green uh, company from both perspectives, the fact that we're dabbling <laughs> in the cannabis space, but also that the products and the services uh, and the, the sector of the market that we're targeting are really more on the environmentally friendly side. So that that's interesting. I mean, you talk about indoor farming, and and the plant itself is is both grows like a weed, but it's very finicky. Um, mm. You know, it does best under under very specific growing conditions. Um, and most indoor grows use HID lights. Um, and while there is a real interest 
amongst uh, growers for LED, uh, they are really resistant to, or it's seemingly resistant to, to adopt the technology because if you don't get the right results in terms of yield or, or terpene output, um, the, 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 the price per pound that you're going to get in the marketplace is less. So, um, how do you guys market? How are you convincing, um, you know, the growers that your products are better than Gavita or Solus Tech, who are HID providers, and that you know an LED is actually going to be not only a more cost-effective solution, but allow you to grow better plants? Right. It's a it's a great question, um, and I asked the same one when I got offered the job. But I've learned that it's just not that simple. So first of all, um, LED lights. Growers don't want to take the risk. Uh, even more, I would say, although your point is a good one about the the level of THC terpenes and that type of thing that uh, a, a grow environment yields um, is the actual yield itself. You know, if you're only getting three pounds out of, or excuse me, two pounds out of a four by four area, and Vita's giving you three pounds. It doesn't matter if you're down one or two or three hundred dollars on that price per pound. You got a thirty percent increase in yield, right? So that's really where they're scared um, is the actual output produced by LEDs. The the second part of your question is how do you convince? And the answer is we don't. They have to convince themselves. And the reality is that the market's going towards LED for all the right reasons, but you can't push it any faster than it's going to adopt. And our strategy isn't to try to convince them of doing things because we don't want to take liability for for producing a lower yield. And there's so much more to the lights. If you change the lights, you have to change other things. You have to change the nutrients, the growing medium, all kinds of other things. And you have to have that expertise. If you're only used to running uh, you know, HPS lights and HID lights, then your formula is going to be built for that. And that's a hard thing to convince somebody to do. It's enough for them to just fight off changing a light. So does that mean that, that it's your your market is really with new entrants rather than, than conversions from historic growers? No, I'll tell you where we've seen the biggest impact is in the early stages, right? So your biggest risk is during the flowering stage. During your, your cloning and your vegging stages, um, you don't have as much risk, uh, first of all. Second of all, you're able to see the results much more quickly. And so where we've really focused on market penetration is replacing uh, the T8 lights that are being used in bedrooms and clone rooms with LED lights that are far more efficient and that are also, um, you know, much more, uh, much more effective at growing healthier, stronger plants. And now we're able to start showing uh, reduction in the veg cycle and getting to the flowering cycle a little bit faster and, and things. So, but there's not as much risk in that stage. And growers are happy to replace their T8s, right? They hate them. So you start with that. And then you gain their trust. And it helps having a PhD, you know, agronomist on staff and a couple of engineers that work for NASA. You know, the credibility factor behind myself and, and my vice president of sales, who's been in the industry with me for five years, is pretty significant. And and once you start to work with them and they start to see that you know what you're doing and what you're talking about and that you're able to work on how to build the right tests and measure those tests with them, then they're willing to take a step into, you know, the next realm. And then there are those who have just converted on their own that understand that no matter what, plants grow under light. So if you throw enough wattage at a plant, it's going to grow. And, you know, you just have to be able to choose the nature of that wattage and, and so forth and so on. And you can do the same thing with LED that you can with HPS, but then in the flowering stage, you can start spending a considerable amount of money. And if you don't know what you're doing, I mean, these, these guys got to learn how to reduce their 
costs. Uh, you can't sell cannabis for $3,000 a pound for the next 10 years. We're going to see $500 a pound cannabis. So um, those costs in that stage and LED costs need to come down for that adoption to get made. But um, the market will educate itself and will certainly help and facilitate that. We're not looking to come in and change people's minds. They got to change them on their own. Um, I'd like to go macro for a moment. So um, I live and work in California. I'm in Los Angeles right now. It's a little, it's a little hazy out, but traditionally California is a really sunny place. <laughs> um, how much of a bump or not um, are you seeing in your business with California coming online? Um, you know, and as more traditional outdoor, um, you know, uh, farming communities come online. Um, do you hope for, you know, do you, do you hope for great growth in California or are you looking for more <laughs> business in shadier places like the Northeast and, you know, areas like that? Or am I, is that being way too simplistic with your business? Which you no, can say I, that too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I appreciate that. Um, no, I don't think it's simplistic. I think it's, uh, it's a loaded question. I think that number one, we're of the belief that the indoor farming movement is here to stay. It's sustainable movement. It's a more green solution, as we talked about. Um, and I am not seeing, I'm in LA right now. I've been here for a week and I'm here all the time. Um, I'm not seeing a tremendous amount of outdoor farming uh, coming online. Most of what I see coming online in California is indoor. It's either under glass or it's under roof. Uh, and I think you're going to continue to see that. Uh, certainly, you're going to see it in Canada and in the Pacific Northwest where they can't grow year-round. Uh, you can grow cheaper in uh, outdoor farming, but you you, you can't control uh, a lot of the things like you mentioned before. <laughs> like mudsides and yeah, rain. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, the, the, the pests and, and all that type of stuff. And then add to that that acres and acres and acres of cannabis smells and communities don't want that permeating the air. And a lot of the communities are, are essentially legislating that, you know, not in my backyard. You've got to grow indoors. Yeah, but 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 the, but but when but when this stuff moves out, so uh, man, we'll get to this on the when we return. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have to take a quick break. Um, we are talking. Um, we are talking on the Green Rush with our good friend David from. Uh, Vivid Grow, and you are listening to Lewis, Ann, and Nick. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Introducing Blue Moon CBD, straight from the bluegrass of Kentucky. With our special nano emulsion process, you'll not only get the best CBD available, you'll get more of it. Not all CBD is the same. It's your body. It's your choice. Get relief from inflammation, anxiety, and stress. Go to www.bluemoonhemp.com and use code HEMP420 for a 20% discount on your order. Balance your body. Balance your life. Make it Blue Moon CBD. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. 
ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Learning the benefits of proper nutrition, supplementation, and personal development to live a healthy and abundant life. Awaken, adjust, and aspire. High on Healthy. Mondays on demand. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Banking and Bud. Understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush. Only on CannabisRadio.com. And we are back on The Green Rush with David Friedman, president of Vivid Grow. Um, so, David, when we went to break, we were just starting to talk a little bit about the difference between growing indoors and outdoors. And um, we're seeing this massive growth indoors because of the federal restrictions, the, the, the illegality of interstate commerce and shipping of the, of the plant. But when the federal government removes that restriction, you will see massive fields of cannabis out in the West, in California and in, in, in the, 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 um, the breadbasket of the country. And, you know, they're used to those, the smell that we were discussing. I mean, you go by a, a pig farm or a cow farm and it, it is not a pleasant smell. So um, for the probably the next three or four years, you guys have open field pretty much, so to speak. But what are you going to do when uh, the vast majority of growing is done outside? What is the pivot then for for Vivid Grow and for, for Lighting Science Group? Yeah. So look, <clears throat> I, you know, I don't think that the vast majority of growing is going to end up getting done outside. The The indoor farming movement and the sustainability movement around that is going to continue. And again, we're crop agnostic, right? So we're seeing million square foot tomato growing facilities and leafy green facilities being put up all over the country and all over the world. Um, and it's not only because of the, uh, you know, the environmental, but also, you know, you've got food deserts and, and sustainability and local sourcing, um, and that all plays into it. So while it's certainly possible uh, that you will see an increase in outdoor growing in the cannabis space when federal legislation comes, if and when that does, um, I, I still think the ability to control, the ability to grow in environments that are not uh, you know, climatized for year-round growing is going to sustain a, a fairly sizable market share. And until the market becomes saturated, um, you know, I'm not super concerned. Plus, you know, we've got multiple products. As I said, we're in automation controls and we're looking to in, in, invent additional IP. So that indoor farming space, cannabis and non-cannabis is going to continue to grow. Um, and I don't think we're in jeopardy of market saturation at, at this point and certainly probably not in my tenure as CEO. <laughs> uh, hey, David, uh, since Lewis just brought up the, the federal government, I wanted to ask, um, with the Jeff Sessions nixing the Obama administration uh, uh, memos there around uh, cannabis enforcement, I was wondering how the session news uh, affected your business and really what your take was uh, around his, uh, his decision there. Yeah, so for those of us in the industry, it wasn't uh, a surprise. It was a little bit of a shock. Um, initially, uh, you know, 
I was pretty concerned about it, but over the last week, 10 days, the backlash has been pretty strong. I think a couple of things. Number one, um, this morning, I, I, you know, it, it's still developing, but they're talking about rescinding the FinCEN guidance, which I'm more uh, concerned about um, because banking is, you know, remains the number one concern in the industry. But this is part of a larger uh, rollback of previous administration's guidance and policies, not just Obama and not just cannabis, and it's consistent with dozens and dozens of others. Um, the Rohrbacker Blumenauer Amendment, that hopefully will get picked up if they pass this budget tonight, that's a bigger factor because just having the opportunity to, to go after the businesses doesn't do any good without the funding. And quite frankly, the state's attorneys general have had the authority to do it up to this point. The guidance memo is a guidance memo. Um, so we're not super concerned about it, but you know it doesn't bode well. At the same time, we do also think uh, that it may have a in- negative impact on, um, on the administration in that legislators are going to start to push forward a lot faster with legislation to get out of the DOJ's hands because they need to protect their states and their constituents and their tax dollars. And those are real concerns for a lot of these legislatures. And it's gaining bipartisan support quicker than I think people would have thought. Right. Probably the opposite effect of what Sessions was right. probably hoping for. Um, and we should ask, actually mention it's um, the we're recording on January 19th and uh, there is no budget deal as of yet, although I don't know right. why emails are turned off. There might have been an alert that came through. Um, so we are just going to pivot quickly to a section we call Puff Puff Pass, um, where we ask our guests to tell us two things that they absolutely love about the industry and one thing that drives them bananas. So we'll do. Yeah. Your turn. Go. <laughs> In that order. All right. So I got to. It could be whatever order you want. We're pretty loosey goosey with it. Puff, puff, pass. So I'm going to puff, puff, and pass. Um, okay. So I, I, I got a chance to think about this. I think, you know, there's two things that are somewhat related, you know, that I would consider to be a puff. The first one, just the, the sheer uh, amount of change that the cannabis industry is going to bring to the world over the next decade, it, it will be one of the five largest industries in the world. Um, that's a wow. big, astonishing fact if you start to look at it, you know, alcohol and tobacco and pharmaceuticals and oil. I mean, you're talking about a massive amount. You're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars of worldwide economic impact that, quite frankly, is in existence now. It's just being run through the black market and it, it's contributing to crime and all kinds of things throughout the world that we're going to be able to help eradicate. And so that's really cool and exciting. And no matter what role I play in it, if it's significant or insignificant, having proximity and a seat at the table to watch that is just, you know, gets me out of bed every morning. It's really, really cool. Um, the second thing probably fits more with my personality for those that know me is it's just a giant middle finger to the... <laughs> populist, elitist, conservative, mostly, but, you know, arguably, who think that, you know, just because we're at the top, we should be able to stay here. And just because it's been done that way forever, even though it doesn't make sense, it should stay that way because the little people need to stay at the bottom and the big people need to stay at the top. And that, to me, is like, I could die tomorrow (laughs) knowing that I was part of that. (laughs) Um, Did we lose everybody? We're we're a big fan of middle fingers. Yeah, Just right. So okay. Well, I, I, I didn't know, so I tried to keep it tamed. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, I think the pass is, you know, the, the real, real heavy uh, difficulty around the banking. The banking piece is the one piece that the federal government can uh, lever 
against the industry. It's an area where they can't directly threaten the industry, but they can threaten the banks. And the banks, right. from a reputational standpoint, from a legislative standpoint, um, have, have made it very difficult. And unfortunately, you know, it's really bully pulpit shit. It's it's the kind of stuff that's going to get people killed because yeah. you're forcing people to keep money, cash on the street. It's not a cash economy anymore. And so by doing this over the next three, five, seven years, because, right, you want to predict the future, find something inevitable. Cannabis is inevitable. So over the next seven years, you're, you're, you're declaring war on people that are um, making their living in putting this money back on the street and contributing to the, the criminal element of society in order to try and just maintain the status quo. And that's really sad. You know, that's something that'll probably never get outed in the way that it should be outed. Uh, maybe Oliver Stone will pick up the, the ball and do one of his conspiracy films about it. It's <laughs> a really sad thing that uh, that's what the government is going to effectuate as a result of this war on cannabis over the next decade. Great. Well, thank you for, for being on, David. It's been uh, awesome talking to you. Uh, that's yeah, it for so us much, David. today. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and we have you, your Twitter account as uh, at VividGrow, G-R-O. Is there another one you wanted to plug or, or that's a good one for us to you know use? What? I think that's it. I mean, I, I my daughter made me get an Instagram account this year so I can <laughs> to travel across Asia. I, I, I'm not a social media guy. I think that's the right one. I certainly don't know of any other one. So go that's for it. That's the one we're following. So, <laughs> okay, so that's, that's a good one for you guys. So again, it's at VividGrow, G-R-O. Um, special thanks uh, to Nick for joining us today and to Brasco for helping us produce this podcast. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle GreenRushComs, as well as at KCSA-Cannabis.com. Or feel free to drop us an email at GreenRush at KCSA.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. Thanks again, David. Thanks, guys. It was blast. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.